Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Dimitra Gray Show. This time featuring my husband, Jordan Gray. (laughs) Hello, I'm Jordan Gray, the husband. (laughs) We're here together. I feel terrible. I'm on my second day of bleeding and I'm very tired and I have a headache, which I don't usually have. I don't usually get headaches that often, but we're here today anyway. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in front of our fire. We have a fire that's currently three and a half, four feet from the microphone. So if you hear any background pop, pop. wood pops, you're not imagining it. Crack pop. It's uh, early afternoon and we have the fire going. So Basically, that's happening. All of my podcasts. In the oncoming days, we'll have that sound in the background because that's how we're heating our house. Does it pick up? Uh, It picks up a little bit. Sometimes when I edit out like the overall background sound, it mutes it. Yeah. But actually, I think that uh, in my last podcast, it was really windy. And there was one point when I was editing where I was like, oh, you could hear the wind. Hmm. For people, I guess it depends on how loud their sound is too. Yeah. If there's especially loud pops, like a... Ember hits the glass or something. It's a wood stove, so it's all enclosed. But yeah. <laughs> Although it did burn a hole in one of our blankets the other day. Yes. When we Jordan opened the door to to put on a new log and a spark leapt Spin. out and landed on the fuzzy blanket that is quite close. To, I guess you're not supposed to put anything on that, uh, what's it called, the hearth. Yep. But we have very flammable items on the hearth so (laughs) a bucket of kindling and a very soft fuzzy blanket but you know why the blankets are there is because they hide the reason i'm so attached to keeping them there you don't know this is because that baseboard there's a baseboard heater behind it Mm. and it's just so ugly maybe if we were to paint it i don't know if you can paint them but it's like white and it just looks so bad against the the raspberry cover color of the living room walls that I feel like the basket of blankets has to go in that spot. You could put the ash bucket and the kindling mainly in front of it. Like, it would cover most of it if I just, like, swung those yeah, around. Not really. But anyways. Anyway, you, you guys can't, can't see you can't our see living that. room. <laughs> <laughs> we did get our Christmas tree yesterday. We did. It's standing also less than four feet away from us <laughs> right now. We're Let's next... just talk about the things that we can see. So today in <laughs> Jordan Deemster's immediate environment... She's holding a jug of water, a glass of water. What do you jar. call it? A jar. A jar. That's what people water. call that. Uh, I'm going to decorate the tree today. We we had a bit of a dilemma over the tree because we went later yes. than usual. Because we were out of the Because country. we were out of the country. And then we had to settle in. And then by the time we like... And then we had to get a tree stand. So by the time we... Uh, it, it doesn't have to be plugged in. The computer is full charge. But just it goes into sleep mode more oh. often. Well, it gets so hot. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. It just gets so hot if you plug it in through the little thingy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Trees. The tree, we were we went to get a tree, and uh, we we're so late in the year that, like, so where we go, you don't, like, go to the farm and choose a live tree to cut it down. That's what most a lot of people do, right? Mm-hmm. We don't do that. We My family always had a fake tree when I was little, so I've only ever had a real tree with you. 
um but we've never gone to a farm we go to the there's like a farm i guess they grow it they grow it on their farm yeah but they cut them down for you ahead of time which that's more normal i've only i've only ever done that my entire life we only had real trees and yeah you go it's like you know we lived in a major city you don't go and be like I'll saw down this one. It's like, they're already cut. You do just... But I thought that that was the adventure. Like, that's what people did. They go to a farm and then they choose their tree. People do both. But I think that pre-cut, you select, here's the already chopped down tree. And you just go, this one, and you take it. And that's more normal. At least in major cities. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. And you would think that I would have had a real tree because I grew up much more rural and there were certainly christmas tree farms but my mom always said that we never had a real tree because it made her too sad to like take it out at the end of the year which is very my mom (laughs) at the end of christmas (laughs) like it's dying and so i have to just i can't i can't do that um so but we have this is our third real tree together did we have one in vancouver no we didn't have it. I feel like we must Did have. Did we have like a tiny one in the corner? Yeah, like a, was it real? I think so. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, a tree, proper tree. plant tree. I think we got like some, you know, plant. We had like a, a large plant that was in the corner. Because I think we put stuff under I feel under like it, it must have been a tree. I don't know. I'll have to look because look that's enough. a curious thing. I feel like I would have made it our first Christmas together as a couple. That would have been a me thing. But our first Christmas together actually as a couple, no, we wouldn't because we were in, we were in the, the States, States visiting my family. And then the next Christmas was COVID. So I don't know if we ever, maybe we did maybe not we just ever do that. Three trees. So I guess, but the main point I wanted to make in talking about the trees was that the other two years, like our first year, oh, you hear the eagle? Yeah. The eagles are they do that i posted that sound in my stories and someone was like i didn't know that's the sound they made and i was like i know neither did we when we moved you wouldn't think an eagle would make that adorable sound it sounds like a neighing horse but but in bird version yeah um tree the tree (laughs) uh do you know that my phone has started serving me this is i don't know if this is funny or not it's not that funny but it kind of is funny my phone has my social media started me serving me all these add ads it's like the other day but you've googled (laughs) things around that so many times that makes total sense i have sometimes but like i don't know i feel like it was the reverse way around like i started seeing other people saying it i was like i think that that sounds a lot like me and then the more i looked it up um the more I looked it up. But anyway, the the ad that got me the other day was it was like, what type of ADHD do you have? And I was That's like, it was a quiz. And I was like, I have to know. And then it led me deeper into this quiz. And it kept being like, you have very severe ADHD. And I was like, okay, I need to get away from this thing. So I went off. Because I actually think, I think my, I don't know that I actually have ADD. I think I have all the other stuff going on with my body right now is is contributing, which maybe we could touch on later. But that sort of mental fogginess distraction. Anyway, coming back to the trees, uh, although I always have been a little bit like this, but the trees, uh, the first couple of years we got the trees, we got a different kind of tree. Do you know, is this a pine tree? And the other ones are a different. So you guys might know, it doesn't matter if you don't know, you could just imagine it in your head. This year, our tree looks a lot more like a typical normal Christmas tree. In my mind, it's more like sparse. 
Like the branches are like... It's, like, it's more sparse compared to our last two years being very dense. Well, yeah, but, like, the branches on this one are kind of, like, long fingers, like... Yep. And our last two years, we got fat trees. And they very were fat, thick and very fat. dense. And the first one we called shrubalub, like tubalub, but shrubalub, because it was more of a shrub, get it? And it was fat and short. And I loved that tree. And then we got one, I think, that was kind of similar last year. Mm-hmm. This year, they were so low on the tree selection, and they did have two giant, big, and fat ones, and I was vetoed. There was one super fat one. There was two. The one, the first one that was leaning against the wall, that was really heavy. One was short and fat. Right. The other one was big and fat. I agree with you. The other one wouldn't have, it was too heavy and big. They were both. But the second (laughs) one was short and it was so wide. It was like, it was way wider than our first year's tree, which was already quite wide. It was wider than it was tall. It was so fat that we were standing there and this other family came by and they like harped forever on how the tree was such a big ball. And I was like, you're being mean to the tree. I like that tree and I would take it home. But Jordan really said no. And usually Jordan goes along with all of my ideas and things that I want. But every once in a while, he is just a pass. And on this, he was like, no. (laughs) And in effectively 100% of those times that I say no to things, it's valid and correct. And yesterday... (laughs) During the ride home, so you know, no less than three minutes later, Deirdre was like, "You're right. That it was, it was too much of a ball. It was. It was like just it would a, have taken up this whole area. It was like a 200 pound baseball. We would never have even been able to walk in the house. Like no. we wouldn't have been able to walk by it. You liked it so much because it was ridiculous. I know because it was just so funny. It was like, but it would have been a pain. We would have had to. It would have been really heavy to yeah. carry in. It would have been so hard to stand up. It's only redeeming quality was that it was was ridiculous and and every time you looked at it it would have been so funny yeah but everything else about it would be a massive headache oh that's just me in a nutshell though (laughs) (laughs) what wanting ridiculous things how many times i still have to drive to victoria i would told them i would do it this week because i was so stubborn that i ordered this vanity for our bathroom it took me forever to pick one out and then once I finally chose one, it let me get all the way to checkout. And I was on like a Canadian website. And as soon as I went to like pay, it was like, oh, we don't ship to your area. And I was like, no, I've done, I've gotten this far. Like I have to be allowed, I have to be allowed this. And they were like, no. And I was like, why? And it was because we are on an island, this tiny island. And the bigger island next to us Vancouver Island, I typed an address there in and they do ship there. So I was like, oh my God. And so I, being me, was quite stubborn and was like, I'm making it happen. And I got this shipping company to give me, do me a favor and let me do something they normally never do, which is let it me ship it to their warehouse. So I did that. And anyway, long story short, it's this massive, heavy thing because it's like marble and I don't know what. It's just really big and heavy. And they were like, do you have a truck? Because we're going to have to forklift it onto your truck. And now I'm stuck having to drive to go pick up this thing that they're going to forklift. And then I guess it will be Jordan's Jordan's problem how to get it out of the truck. Indeed. <laughs> but 
I did that with this lamp too in our living room and it was so worth it. So sometimes it works out. Uh-huh. You know? I do know. <laughs> it's my daily lived experience. <laughs> what is your experience like? That it often works out. Yeah. That your your wacky, zany plans more often than not generate positive outcomes. Yeah. But they are headaches in the short term. (laughs) That's because I tend to do things mostly by like, I'll just keep doing the next step and it will just work out. Like, I'll just, I'll just figure it out on the way. Mm -hmm. That was like when we were in South Carolina and everyone was like, how are you going to pack all these? Like, I kept buying things and everyone was like, how are you going to take all these things home? And I was like, I don't know, that is not going to be a problem until the last day. And I'll figure it out then. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know what? Everything has worked out well for me so far. So I can't say... Still on a hot streak. I can't say that that is an incorrect way of being. Anyway. So, yeah, we got our tree. We are preparing to do nothing for Christmas and enjoy it because we're only here for another... Month. Month. 33 days. As of the time of this recording. You know what I would like to tell them about is uh, how much better you got at flying. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a cute okay. Yeah. Because Jordan, do you want to tell them? Jordan has uh, has had a big fear of flying. And I just want to preface this by saying, just because we are saying this now doesn't mean that you can never be afraid on a flight again. Mm. Just that you had a massive change. Yeah, I'd say for the majority of the last 11 years, I feel like I, yeah, just like kind of spontaneously, yeah, just a fear of flying emerged. Like I was on planes when I was a kid, for sure. Um, and you weren't afraid then? No, not at all. Did you like it or were you neutral? Um, I probably liked it from a place of novelty. Yeah, my, my assumption would be that my first ever time on an airplane was I might have been, you know, eight-ish. Like, I don't think I was on a plane. We didn't really have a lot of money when I was like young, young. Um, so I don't think I would have been on a plane before eight years old. But, you know, I, I probably was on at least a dozen flights between... 8 to 15, so, you know, still, like, early adolescence being a kid. And, yeah, I have zero memories of fear of turbulence, of takeoff, of being in the plane, any of it. I don't think I had any issue with it. Um, And then, yeah, around 25, it, like, started and largely escalated for the following, like, you know, most of the decade, like, 25 to 35. Um, Yeah, during... Takeoff and turbulence and not during landing, which is one of the reasons that I know that it's, you know, I've done so much research on how planes work and just how, yeah, how flight happens and where the actual risks are and what the statistics are and how ridiculously safe flying in commercial aircraft is. And that's one of the things that I've always known is like, I know that this is irrational because during the statistically most dangerous you know, most potentially dangerous part of flying, which is landing, I feel the most peaceful because I'm like, it's ending. It, this is in the process of ending. I don't care if we, if the wheels don't, 
you know, eject from underneath the aircraft and we slide, you know, grind <laughs> to a halt. I don't care. I just want to be back on the ground. And so, yeah, like landing, I've almost never felt, you know, unless there was like crazy turbulence if we were landing in Vancouver or Seattle and sometimes they can be windier places to land. Um, yeah, for the last decade, it was just like a big thing. And then through a combination of things, through, you know, homeopathy and I don't know, just whatever I've been doing over the last year, I feel like it's been getting a little bit, you know, easier over the last whatever, you know, five-ish flights that we have taken together. And yeah, this last flight, flying home from our last six-week trip to South Carolina, there were multiple, you know, multi-minute pocket, pockets of turbulence, and I hadn't felt that calm on a flight in over a decade, for sure. It was amazing. Like... It, Jordan, when the first time we went on a flight, I love flying, and uh, I remember it being a big deal the first time we went on a flight together because you were like, you don't understand how much I like really hate it. And when we were on the plane, I was, and I was like, and that was we were flying to see your family for Christmas when we were months into dating. Yeah, and that was the was thing new. that a lot of my friends and you know colleagues and family members commented on. They're like, oh, like Jordan's serious about this woman <laughs> if he's willing to take multiple flights. Oh, and then it was hell. Across the continent to meet her family. It's like, okay, this isn't just like dating. Like they're, he's serious because he's doing his least favorite thing in the world repeatedly to meet the, you know, meet the parents, meet the family. And then he got an extra hard journey because when we got to the airport, they were like, surprise, you now have three flights instead of two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it was just like, he handled it well. I was like... This is a man who, you know, it's good to notice how people respond in times of just like stress or crisis and yeah. uh, not that it was like a big crisis, but it co- he could have reacted so poorly and like so stressed. And uh, I remember noting that as like an important thing to me. Like, I know this is a really stressful thing for him and he's just like taking it in stride and like being willing to just be like, you know, go along with life yeah i remember the per the like the teller or whatever the the check-in person because we didn't check in on the machine but a, a human and yeah i remember she said that but she was mainly talking to you and i remember you looking i know exactly where you were you like looked over your left shoulder at me to be like there's gonna be three flights and yeah i was just like okay that's <laughs> then that's what it has to be yeah yeah and i could see it on your face that you like also saw the humor in it too and yeah. you were just like all right of course you get an extra opportunity to <laughs> You know, have one more <laughs> round of exposure to this. Uh, but yeah, I remember on that flight, like, I wasn't quite uh, so prepared because, like, my mom had been afraid of flying when I was young, but it wasn't quite the same as you. Like, uh, you know, especially if we were on a smaller plane, she'd, like, grip my hand and, like, you know, look really afraid. But we were always kind of laughing. Like, I don't know. It wasn't – you were different. Like, Jordan, it was just kind of like a – a trauma, like your, you could just tell your body was super, like it really did not like it, and it, it was very out of your control. Like it was just like, yeah, you were like very in uh, fear, and so to go from that to our last flight where he was just like really relaxed, and every time we hit turbulence, I'd like glance like to the side of my eye at you to be like, is he still really not like? I didn't want to comment on it too much during the flight, but I was just like. 
yes, he still really he's he looks calm. This is so weird. It was yeah, it was it was, it was nice. And I was almost as baffled, like as it was happening and like seeing the lack of jumpiness in myself. I was just like, oh okay, yeah. I I feel this way now. Apparently <laughs> during turbulence, cool. Yeah. You're just it's different. Yeah, I feel like it must have been just a combination of you know, like everything is a combination of different things. But I think homeopathy, I don't know. Homeopathy is just so interesting to me because it really, I think it has the ability more than anything to create these sort of subtle energetic shifts that you're just like, like, of course, the other physical things in your life you're doing are contributing. But then like, yeah, it just seems to shift something. And that's been my experience each time where it's just sort of like, oh, something has just changed now, and mm-hmm. I don't really know. It's like a subtle sort of way of just being differently. One of my favorite things that you said in reference to homeopathy was you started working with the homeopath first, and the first time that you were given a remedy that was like these little pellets, and you were taking them, and I was like just trying to gain clarity on exactly what the mechanism was, like what's this thing? I was like, so like these pellets, like they're, you know, I just... I. Was like it's like this or this like well, what's what is it actually, and your um, your the first thing you said was, well scientifically it's nothing. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. That's a perfect response, you know, because yeah, science would like analyze these little pellets and be like, this is you know this is only placebo. This is stupid, and maybe it is. And you you led with that of scientifically it's nothing. And I was like, cool, okay, <laughs> great, and yeah, we both have experienced shifts with it over the last whatever year yeah I mean I think that for me like I feel especially nowadays Jordan's putting another log on the fire we could just name it so that they're like not like what's those weird sounds (laughs) then you don't have to try to be quiet um I think that's been a big shift for me over the last year especially uh but just in general like I think that with things like that Uh, I'm more skeptical of someone who's just, like, not skeptical. (laughs) You know, like, if someone's just, like, you should just trust this. It's just, like, energy. Obviously, it's just... It's, like, to me, that's kind of a red flag because it's just, like, okay, how can I trust anything you say if nothing you're experiencing is, like, based on... But but that being said, like, I think... uh, I think that it's good to have a combination of like because you know scientifically i might say scientifically it's nothing but that's also just with the science we currently have and so it's not even fair to say that really because we Mm -hmm. don't know that like we might be able to measure energetics of things in the future and we just don't know that currently so it's more Mm -hmm. accurate to say like with current science it would say it's nothing or something like that yeah um but yeah, I like to have a balance of those things because I I feel like I've been pretty skeptical. I mean, I'm still skeptical of it. I'll be honest with you. Each time I take a new thing, even though part of me is like really open to it and I've like experienced shifts from it and I I like the kind of poetry of it, like the the because uh, homeopathy essentially what it does for anyone who doesn't know in in a very basic summary is just that like it. It takes, like, you as a story and, like, as a person with all these experiences and who you are and how you react and how you feel things. And then it matches you and it, it works on this principle of, of like 
uh, cancels like or like whatever. And so they match these two things together. And so they match you with something else in the universe, like all any different thing in nature. So there's like hundreds of thousands of potential remedies. Um, and I just think it's cool to like be able to to it just reminds me of poetry in that way. It like takes up the kind of essence of you. And then it's like, what else in the world is like you? Hmm. Uh, something the man I work with uh, said is, uh, he said, to, he said when talking about it is like, it looks for what in nature is grappling with the same kind of question that you are. Hmm. And I just think that's so beautiful. And so it speaks to this like very deep part of me. Uh, but then at the same time, like every time I take it, I'm like, is this re- like, what is this really? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I, I think it's healthy to have the skepticism too, but it's also, it's just good to be in between. I remember when I was in my early, early mid twenties, I did a package of sessions with an energy healer <clears throat> and it was effectively, I went to this person's house, did a massage table. I laid down on it, fully clothed. They put a blanket over me and just like move their hands over me without mm-hmm. touching me ever. Just like moving my hands in whatever patterns to like, you know, heal and serve and integrate my energy. And I remember leaving that, those sessions. I mean, like, I do feel better when I leave these sessions. And, you know, if the placebo effect of just someone for an hour putting their attention on you in any way allows something in your body to relax and receive a constructed benefit, cool. Mm. If there's anything beyond that, also cool. Mm-hmm. They're just like, yeah, like placebo effect is real and there's things we can't measure. So if a thing feels good, then go for it. But it is also interesting to think about placebo because I think like people are so quick to be like, oh, it's just like the doctor I talked to the other day, she was talking about something and she's like, placebo is also like a thing. Like, just kind of, like, dissing certain things and, like, being, like, placebo is all. And it was, like, okay, but what actually is placebo? Like, placebo is very fascinating because placebo is saying, like, you know, you got this treatment that allowed your mind to do something which caused a real impact. So the impact is real. And I feel like that is extremely interesting. Totally. So it's, like... Yeah, I think sometimes people use it. You weren't, but people just use it in this way of like brushing things off. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean that it like, wait. (laughs) And how do you know we're not just calling something placebo that's actually like something you could name? I feel like maybe they'll they'll name it in the future as some like, you know, that's a thing that your mind does that like is like creates a measurable impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. And speaking of things that our minds do that create measurable impacts, segue into our life. Oh, I was like, where are you going with this? I didn't know you were going to segue into something. So about a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago when we were in the States, we had some big life chats. Yeah. Of, yeah, just like. Fun, like foundationally kind of questioning and holding everything up into the light and being like, okay, we have a lot of, you know, freedom, autonomy, flexibility. Our lives are set up in a way that like in some ways almost everything's on the table. So like, yeah, just, you know, from this like first principles way of thinking, like 
what life are we trying to build now and going mm-hmm. forwards? And I feel like, yeah, I think that there, you know, maybe a lot of people can relate to this the world over. There was a bit of a, you know, halt on some, some ceiling, some level of like expansive thinking and dreaming over the last three and a half years of, you know, just the world and uh, <laughs> the mind viruses that, that spread across and, and the literal viruses that also spread. Um, yeah, it felt like we really were able to have these. Yeah, I don't know how to frame it. It wasn't like there were more honest conversations. I think that there were just like a lot of like wet blankets were kind of taken off of each of each of us individually. And we're like, oh, okay, really feeling into the full range of what we can want with, yeah, with more with more possibilities and I think with like less should thinking than ever before mm. of us just both being like, oh, I'm allowed to want what I want. I don't have to like go along with correct societal tropes. We can just like really build it. So if everything's on the table, what are we wanting now? Like yeah. what are we building now? Mm. And it's so stressful actually I'm to like have everything on the table. Which I'm not saying to whine about it. I know it's like a position people want to be in, but it's such it's also like a real stressful position to be in where it's just like everything's possible. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what do I do in that place? Like it's just it feels like a lot. And I also think that like the past few years, time in the cult aside, which is like a big thing to put aside, but like that aside, the pandemic was really traumatizing. I feel like people do not talk about, like, everyone's just sort of moved on from how traumatizing being in the pandemic was. Like, I just feel like those those years, I don't even know exactly when it officially ended, but it was like, uh, I feel like I'm, I haven't looked as much at that because people have all just sort of like brushed it off and moved on is what it has seemed like to me societally like okay we're just like traveling again now we're doing stuff again now and for me I'm like I think there's still like I didn't want to go any like I couldn't go anywhere at all and then I kind of decided I didn't want to which I kind of think maybe was just a reaction to not being allowed to you know like I'm not allowed to leave the country and go see my family so I'll just like decide that I don't want to travel anymore. But then when everything opened up and I could travel, I like was afraid to travel, not because of COVID, but just like I was afraid, like suddenly I was just afraid in ways that I hadn't been before where I was just like, am I going to die if I like get on this plane or like, am I going to be allowed to come back? Like I left without you for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm like afraid to go. Am I get- Are they going to like let me back in? Like, is the world a scary, terrible place now? And it was just such a different thing for me. I know other people have mentioned this, like my friends, just like this difference in before I just felt very, very trusting. And I know I was younger, but just like going to new countries and just like meeting strangers and hugging them and going to their houses and just like being super connected. Mm -hmm. And then after COVID and like being locked alone and really isolated and then like not being allowed in restaurants and not being allowed to travel and not being allowed to go anywhere and just kind of like, 
isolating more and more. Um, I think that's played a big part too uh, in in just feeling into uh, like it, it's it's like what do I want? But then also, wh- where are the places where I might be holding myself back from something that I want because I've sort of like created this false idea that I don't want it, you know? Totally, and that's why that's why. I- speaking on that piece of like i feel like the should thinking is lifting of like okay like everything is really an option again and we're letting in more and more of those options and then going okay with everything on the table what now yeah so and we reached this point i mean it was right before we left in this for the states when we had that big conversation it was like a couple days before we left because we were only supposed to go for two weeks mm-hmm. remember to see my family i feel like the bigger conversations happen when we were there like it was before and totally yeah. but i feel like the start of that was sort yeah. of that day when we were both in the bedroom yeah. <clears throat> and it was just like i kind of realized suddenly like i was already feeling sad about leaving my family before we had even gotten there yeah before we'd left <laughs> i was just like crying my eyes out and i was just feeling so, and and i realized like oh i've just sort of like, I've decided that this is the way it always has to be. Like, we can only, like, now we live in Canada, and I've decided to marry Jordan and live in Canada, so we can never uh, go, like, to the States for a long period of time. Like, we, you know, we're just not going to see my family very much. It's always going to be this, like, once or twice a year, like, couple-week trip, and that's it. And, like, uh, my family, and, and, I am really close with my family, especially now, like, I, you know, I've moved through a lot of different things with different people, but everything now is in such a healthy and happy place. And I really grew up with such just a, like, close, loving family. And even though my parents are not still together and there's, you know, so much has happened there, I just miss them and I love them. And uh, I was like, I really want to have longer period like I don't want this to be my life and that was big for you yeah you're saying like I don't just want these like tiny little mini stretches of okay we're here for two two weeks once or twice a year and that's it but I couldn't see a way out of it I was like this is just how it has to be because I've like chosen to marry a Canadian man and I happen to love I also love it here like I just I've like completely fallen in love with the nature here and what it feels like here uh just BC in general really not like our island especially but I mean BC is just so stunning yeah it's like the oceans and the rockiness and the wild like jungle forests and it's just so beautiful yeah it is and it's like wild feeling and yeah, so there was that feeling of like, oh, I think that like this is the ceiling of what I'm allowed to experience. Then we're like, hey, that's not the case. And like, so if this is also a bigger, more expansive thing, then like, okay, what's the like, you know, no holds barred, no limit, like actual truth. And then we just, we did that same thing with like all the pillars of, okay, what is, you know, where do we live geographically through how much of the year? What are our honest needs with, you know, social life with friends with work with money with travel like yeah just like it you, felt like, like reevaluated everything yeah i just felt like there was a big gold rush of like okay what are we actually now trying to do from this new place that neither of us have you know individually or collectively 
you know, had the awareness or ability um, to question, you know, to this level before. And it was big. It, it was like a multi-day, like, you know, two or three big days of talking it over and self-reflecting a little bit, mainly mainly talking it out. But, yeah. I, mean, I feel like we've we've been... We had like a pointed conversation that one day for a couple hours where we like really sat down and specifically yeah. did it. But then it kind of felt like we we were having the same conversation just every day for like many weeks. Yeah. And we still kind of are to some extent, but we've we've gotten a lot more clear. Yeah. Um, but maybe we should clarify for everyone like like the reason this is so different is like a few months ago, we were not questioning any of this at all. Yeah. Like we were so settled in just like we just live here. We're ready to have a baby. We're like gonna start a family. We're just gonna like this We're is our concrete super life. Hunker down. Yeah, and just like build community and maybe like have a homestead here and just like have more land and like it I don't know, it it was just kind of that was how it felt and we hadn't questioned that. And then uh so all of that suddenly was kind of up for questioning and it was like uh, I think we still know that we want to have a family, but it's just now it's like actually not right this moment, yeah. which is wild because like earlier this year, I was just like, this is my only focus. I'm like ready to get pregnant now. Yeah. And I was so certain so many times. Um, But now I'm just like, wait, whoa. And I actually think part of that for me uh was this kind of, like, time running out feeling, which I don't want to, like, I don't want to have a baby from that place. But I think, and and not like a, oh, my biological clock is ticking. There's a little bit of that, but not very much. More just like, um, I mean, I'm only 31. I'm not that old. As of a couple weeks ago. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, But if we want to have many kids, like, it is something to consider. But more so for me is, like, the... uh, I mean, really, its whole is, like, in the kind of trauma of Damon's accident and just feeling like, what if you die? What if Jordan dies at any moment? Yeah. Then you, like, want a souvenir (laughs) of our kid that has me in it. It's like... Isn't that a little fucked? But it's true. That's really... That's the... That is the, like... uh, That's the fear part. That's just, like, okay, but we should do it now so we can make sure that we can do it. Do you know I'll share a really, a really thing. <laughs> for it. Wait, what are you doing? Are you going to the fire? I was going, going to, but you're about to say <laughs> something important, so do this first. I, it's not important. It's just revealing my uh-huh. uh, my fears. And I had have had thoughts of like, we should just freeze our embryos so that in case you die, I can still have your baby. Oh. It's sweet though. <laughs> have a part of you. Uh-huh. I know it's sweet, but it's also just kind of like okay, but that's not a good way to live. And it's an inevitable part of living because to me, the, the mind is just it does that. You know, this Pandora's box of noise and. Okay, oh. but does it does it do that with everyone, or does it do that in response to traumatic, like having trauma? If someone's never been through like big traumatic things i think everyone's brain has that part of like i'm just gonna move my steering wheel and drive into oncoming traffic oh here comes a train i'm gonna step in front of it like oh like 
I'm in this high place. What if I just look over? What if, you know, who would stop me if I just jumped over? Like, like, like you know, fleeting thoughts yes, ever, sure. But totally. I feel like I didn't have this sort of like, like the person I love is going to die before Damon's accident. I know I was younger, but I also think I harp on it more than like is, I don't want to say healthy because I don't want to say it's like, but I just think like had that not happened, I would not have that be so prominent. I understand the thought process and I would disagree with it. I think that's just a thing that people do when they're actually like feeling. I, I don't have, I don't have as much of a big story of other person loss earlier in life and I have those thoughts of like but you've been through like significant friend deaths sure but it doesn't feel the same like I I don't think it's I don't know I feel like we would have to ask a person who has not really been through much difficulty yeah and think do you ever have scary thoughts of like Man, I stupid don't want my partner to die. But having I erotic that, thoughts, like to me, that's inevitable. That's just like the ego mind just does that. Yes, but isn't there a difference between like having an occasional thought of like, like oh, it would really like I really don't want my partner to die versus the like ongoing deep feeling of like every time I, you know, I mm-hmm. it's just very often. In the Big Five personality test, that's just trait neuroticism. So, yes, some people are more neurotic than others. Some are more prone to ruminating on negative thought patterns than others. I, don't, I wouldn't tie it to drama. I just think some people are more neurotic than others. We both lean a bit more in that <laughs> side of the scale, <laughs> as, as many artists do. And that's just comes um, with the territory. Well, we will mildly disagree maybe until we can until we can find out more (laughs) look at that healthy disagreement in a couple (laughs) jordan's putting more logs on the fire um yeah i feel like uh so i was reading this quote i want to i want to i want to find this quote in this book i'm gonna read it because I wanted to, I didn't read it to you. I was going to read it to you last night. Oh. It's about me. Oh. Because I feel like, I feel like that, so what I want to connect it to first is I want to say that, um, well, let's, because what we are saying is how we've been like questioning everything and yes. there's kind of been this big overhaul. And I think that's the sort of change that's happened for me in terms of my work, like me going back and just deleting everything. Yep. And uh I'm so proud. I've been happy about. Yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. I just like, yeah. I, I understand it. Yeah. It makes sense. I didn't realize it until I was doing it. Like I had had thoughts of it ever and wanted to do it, but then been like, no, I shouldn't because of other people mostly. But then when I was doing it, I was like, oh my God, it feels like shedding. It's like, okay, I'm not this person that I was at these other times. And, like, I think there's value. You know, like, I'm not removing my books of poetry that I wrote from the internet. Mm -hmm. So there's just a distinction. Like, uh, there's my younger self is quite prominent in the books of poetry that I wrote. Like, I don't believe certain. Like, I don't think in certain ways, obviously, that I did at those times. Even, like, my second poetry book talks so much about, like, daddy little girl and our diet. We don't have that at all anymore. Yeah. 
Um, so like people move on, but I think those things I feel more proud of because they're like my heart. Like that's just, that just was my heart at the time. Versus I think a lot of the different things that I wrote, even though like, um, even though I still agree with certain things that I was saying, like certain things I wrote about sex, that's still like my uh, relationship with sex today. I just am like, this is not who I am. I don't want to be like writing things like this. And a lot of what I wrote, I didn't, I don't like agree with or think that way. And anyway, I just wanted to move on. But I feel like that, that came from this sort of overhaul in both of us of like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? What do we really actually want to be doing? Where have we like taken on other people's values, but we don't really want them? Um, and just looking at like each aspect. And I think I talked in my, I think I talked, yeah, I think I talked in my last episode, um, about just feeling like, I think I just kept feeling like I had to like create content or like coach or teach or like show up in a certain way. And Mm -hmm. what I'd rather do is just, uh, do what I've always done in my most, in the writing that I'm most proud of, which is always me just sharing, like, my heart. Um, and even if it is talking about, like, my view on something, I think there's still, uh, yeah, this, like, uh, vulnerability to it of just, like, this is just me as a person, like, being a person and this is how I feel and not trying to pretend it's different. But anyway, it reminds me of this thing in this book. Um, wait till you hear this. So this is from, this is from, uh, Gabor Mate book called When the Body Says No. And it's about like autoimmune stuff. And it's, the subtitle is The Cost of Hidden Stress. And it's about autoimmune and cancer and just like the emotional aspects to disease. And I have been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder and, uh, I'm not saying, like, I'm sure I'll go into this more in different episodes, but I'm not saying that, like, this is the only component. I think there's, like, 80 different components to what causes something in the body. But uh, this paragraph goes, is it legal to read from a part of a book on a podcast? (laughs) The core belief in having to be strong enough Characteristic of many people who develop chronic illness is a defense. The child who perceives that her parents cannot support her emotionally had better develop an attitude of, I can handle everything myself. Otherwise, she may feel rejected. One way not to feel rejected is to never ask for help, never to admit weakness, to believe that I am strong enough to withstand all my vicissitudes alone. I don't know what vicissitudes means exactly, but you can context clues it up. Uh (sighs) Um, But what I think, like, I think what I'm really letting go of is inherent in that. Um, This kind of feeling of, like, that I've had my whole life that I don't really think was anyone's fault, but just, like, happened as a result of like me being who I am and reacting to life in the way that I did and then Damon's accident happening and feeling exactly like that like I will be the one who's always strong and can like always handle things and uh 
I think there's like something, I think that that kind of got pulled into my work too and into my life in general of just like, I can, like, I can just handle everything. I can do it all and nothing bothers me. And like, I'm like strong enough to withstand everything. So that coach expert frame worked perfectly of like, I always have to be seen as like capable and on and having the answers and like, it's yeah, that fits so well. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not saying is like a thing for everyone who's a coach, just no. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I think you are meant to be a coach. Like you're just like really good at teaching. Um, and I think that I'm good at it in certain ways and I, I love it in certain ways, but I also, yeah, I think it, there's that playing into it. And I think a lot of what I'm feeling now is this just feeling of like, not that like I'm going to die, but it feels that urgent in my body. Like either let go of this kind of story and like way of thinking and being, or like you're going to die, even though what I'm dealing with is not that drastic. Um, it feels like that. It just feels like it feels, I think that's where like focusing on writing my memoir comes in too. Cause it's like, those are the things that are actually most important to me are the, are the, are sharing in a place that comes from just my heart. Mm-hmm. Making art out of your life. Yeah. Art from your life. Yeah. I was watching uh, Taylor Swift's Eras tour this morning. Mm-hmm. I almost got through the whole thing. I had like a couple songs left before we started doing this. And I was bawling. You know what songs I cried during were uh, all her first album ones? Because I, I feel like I grew up with Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like like we're close to the same age and I saw her when I must have been whatever like 12 13 14 whenever it was that she like we she was raised quite close to me in like in Pennsylvania and uh I saw her in concert when she opened for somebody else with my mom and we didn't know who she was and she opened and my mom reminded me of this the other day because she was like, oh, she had and she had curly hair like you. Like we had like kind of similar looking hair if you look at her old stuff. And it was just like I loved her and I listened to that album and it was country and I loved country. My family was big in country music. And um, anyway, I'm not like a huge I'm I'm not I don't like play Taylor Swift songs all the time at all, but I love her. And I have this kind of, like, I think that what she represents is just such, is, like, this kind of quality in a sense that I'm talking about. Is, like, I feel like she is really willing in some ways to just put her teenage girl self, like, out to the whole world and just, like, really approve of her and accept her. Mm. I think that's the part that moves me the most is, like, just there's so much about her unabashed, like... I don't know. I don't even know the whole thing with all the friendship bracelets, but just like watching her perform all these old songs and like things she's been made fun of for so much and just like really embracing it and just being like, 
you know, just loving, like, glitter and, like, people just so make fun of her and really hate her for this, like, what I see as this, like, just inherent goodness and, like, this – and I just – it's that thing that I – I just feel like when people just hate Taylor Swift, they just are hating, like, that quality, like, this, like, goodness. And I I think it's really – I see a a part of that in myself, in my, like, when looking at my younger self, I think that, uh, like, watching her as a young girl, like, in that documentary and then just in just videos and stuff of her, I had quite a similar personality uh, when I was young. Like, this very just kind of, like, confident and loud and, like, got made fun of for being a goody-goody and just, like, like, I was just so, there's, like, this sweetness. And then, you know, in my life, so many things happened that were extremely hard. And I think that took its toll in certain ways. And I've had a lot of different experiences. But that, like, core is still there. And I think I've been, I just really resonate with the way that people, I think people make fun of that. And I, like, take that personally when I see it because I just feel like that is the thing that people, like, look down on in me or have looked down on in me in my life is this just, like, yeah, it's just amazing to watch her perform and just be, like, uh, she, there was this article about her the other day where the author was like talking to her the the journalist and the journalist said something to her like there's a meme that's like don't kill the uh don't kill the parts of you that are cringe kill the part that thinks that they're cringe and she was like oh yeah I love that and I read that I was like that is kind of like it sums up exactly that thing of just this like why can't we just love what we love and, like, feel how we feel? Self-approval. Yeah. This M this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been, like, such a core of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. I've been crying all day. I, like, cried during the whole show. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was done when she played her first. She played, like, her whatever era that was, like, the first one, her debut album. And then, but then she came back to it. She played, like, an acoustic set, and she played that, uh, what is it called? I think it was Picture to Burn, that song. Hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I remember being, like, whatever age I was, like, 14, 15, and, like, playing that song and being that age. Hmm. This is the me you get now, you guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> all ranges of Demetrev. Big beaming heart. <laughs> Angsty and annoyed and then loud and happy and then sad. Tender and sweet. Yeah, sweet. But I do think that that was like that my happiness was really made fun of by like not any specific people really, but like everybody, it kind of felt like me being like loud and happy. And I think I see that in her, like watching her perform like this sort of approval of that. Uh-huh. 
because I do feel that way. Like, the more energy that I've had and the more I, like, kind of step into it, it's, like, it's a funny one to feel, but it's, like, can anybody deal with me when I'm, like, really happy? (laughs) Like, if I'm just really happy and really loud and just, like, really, like, sure of myself, God, like, can anybody stand that? Is how it feels. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. I want to go into all the uh, body health stuff another time. Like, I'll just kind of go into it more in depth. Um, Because I just want to, I want to talk through about what I've learned and just the different things to explore, but... um, Yeah, I feel like I've just found this place, especially with doctors and things lately, like you have been there and seen me and also been with me at seeing the shift over Mm -hmm. the past few years. Big shift. Yeah, I'm just kind of feeling like, uh, kind of like trying to please the doctors in a way or just like not, not rock the boat, which is funny that I have this quality because I have like, I can so not have it in certain ways. Just in being, like, provocative or being, like, whatever. But I very do have it in other places. Um, But, yeah, I just, I feel like the place I've been now at the doctors is, like, I'm the one in control and I'm the one in charge. And, like, I have done all the research to know all the things and, like, I know what I'm talking about. And, like, uh, just this kind of, like... It doesn't matter if the doctor doesn't like me. Even though I'm, like, nice to them. I'm not saying I'm, like, rude or disrespectful, but. Um, you don't go, I'm in charge of the room. You say, I'm in charge of me is your energy. Like, you, yeah, yeah. in yourself. Yeah, yeah. I just mean, like, I'm in charge of, like, what's happening here. So when the doctor for is, like. You. Yeah, for me. Jordan has to clarify that I'm not a big bitch to the doctors which i'm very not i'm very kind uh and firm about like my body mm-hmm. which is the shift um and i think that that has come in part from i think i used to have it more when i was really young like you can like something the homeopath asked me that was such a funny question he like had asked for some photos of me as a little girl and then he was like, like, we hadn't talked about this at all. And he was like, were you bossy as a girl by chance? And I was like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> like, yeah, people would have said that. But not like mean. They would have just said like, uh, yeah, like I was just, I know that as a friend and like a big sister, I was just quite like know it all and sure of myself and very like. I had a lot of opinions and I was also very sweet, but just like very, uh, opinionated in that way. Sure. Adults would have said, Deimtra is a very spirited little girl. (laughs) No, they called the, all the teachers and principal called my mother and said, Deimtra has attitude. Deimtra is talking too much in class. And my mom, thank God for her, would be like, she always took my side. Because she knew who I was as a person. She knew that I would not, like, she knew that if I was pushing back against something, it was because that thing was wrong. 
She knew I would not be just like rude or entitled or mean to people. Like you were just an arbitrary shit disturber, like you. Correct. Yeah. I was like, if you're like the reason that I'm acting this way is for a good reason. Uh-huh. Like I got in school suspension one time, only once. I was an excellent student, by the way. I had all A's. I like graduated. I'm just clarifying that I wasn't this like rebellious dropout like high school kid. I was a great student and I played sports and all the things, but I uh, also got ISS one time because there was a boy who I had a crush on and we were in an art class together and we both happened to accidentally leave our lunches in our cars that day at school. So we were like 17 or 18 and uh, probably 17 and it was lunchtime, and you were supposed to ask permission to go outside, but the cars were, like, right in the parking lot. It was, like, getting close to lunchtime. You were, you didn't have this kind of school experience. Jordan's making a face. But our school was, like, quite strict about things like that. You were not allowed Why? to leave. Well, I think for you, you were allowed to leave, right, and go get lunch or something. There weren't places that you could walk near my school. But what? But you're saying you had to get permission to leave, like, leave the building. Yes. So what if you just were, like, out, like, weren't there, like... Uh, wasn't there a track or a like gr- you know green space for you to eat? Like you just... no, we had to eat in the cafeteria. But there was no field or grass or trees anywhere uh, around existed, your school. It existed, but we weren't allowed to like go into it during Why? the day. Why that? Because I don't know. That was just the rule. They just had rules like that. It was just like... Because you just... you're going to buy drugs from someone? Like, See, why... now you understand. I don't know what their reason... Yeah, you're just going to get in trouble. Or, I don't know, someone maybe has to monitor you. But I want to know why. What's Well, I don't know what their, what their reason is. Yeah. But now you understand why I was just like, this is a yeah. stupid rule. I'm not going all the way to the office to, like, ask for permission to just go into my own car and get my lunch and come back in. Mm. And so that was what I did. We both, he went first. And I watched the door. And he went out and got his and came back. And then I went out and got mine. And then while I was out, somebody came to the door, a teacher. And they were like, what are you doing? And we were like, just get your lunch. And then she reported us to the principal. And then I took full blame because I was the only one that was out and I had a crush on him. So I was like, I'm not going to have him get in trouble. And I was like, no, he didn't leave. It was just me. And I can handle everything. And I can handle everything. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I had ISS and it was the best experience of my life because nobody. In school suspension. Yeah. Nobody knows what that means. Not in Canada. I've never heard that before today. Oh, didn't I say at the beginning in school suspension? You did, but then you abbreviated to ISS. So okay, well, people are I... intelligent. Just yeah, some people. <laughs> <laughs> For all the dumb people listening to this podcast, <laughs> Not I'm just you, of kidding. Course, you would never listen to me if you were dumb. You no, you would have laughed a long time ago. <laughs> um, uh, but I did. I had in school suspension, and. Uh, Nobody gave me, like, like, the work that they gave me to do, what they're supposed to do for in-school suspension is for, they, first of all, they made us go to a different building. So it was me and, like, other troublemakers. We had to go to this building where the room was perfectly quiet and, like, no one was allowed to make any sound or talk whatsoever. But they let me keep my phone so I could, like, text my mom and, which is what I did every day in school. And... Then they also were like, they gave us the work. And think about what actual work you get done in high school during the day. Like in your classes, like the teacher was supposed to send over the work for me to do. 
So I would complete the whole day's work in like 15 minutes. And then I had all day to do whatever I wanted because I didn't have any other work to do. So then I would text your mom. I would text my mom and I would read magazines. I brought a whole stack and they couldn't stop. Yeah, they couldn't stop me from reading them because. I would have loved that kind of high school. (laughs) Self-study. Yeah, they couldn't stop me from reading because they were like, she did all her work. And I had three days of like just quiet to just read. And it was great. That was what I usually did in class anyway was hide my magazines inside my books and read them. There you go. My binders. Learn the important stuff. <laughs> and then cram the night before the test. You don't, this is why we're not going to school our kids in this way. It's just like, what did I, I didn't learn anything. I learned, I was a quite a good studier, like memorizer. Mm-hmm. And would read my things. But yeah, and then the, somehow my mom, I like fought with the principal and we, my mom was really mad at them for doing that to me. And then she got, I think she got it taken off my record somehow. So when I applied to college, it it was not there. Because you get a record for being in yeah, you, with the you have to report to the to like university when you apply. You have to say like like if you have a history of in school suspension or out of school suspension. Wow, which is worse. you don't do that. Nope. What do you mean? Well, we don't have in school suspension, but also that is like if you're like late to a class or if you skip a class or if you get. The, the principal you have to talk to them like it's like goes on your record like you're a criminal and that what they, they narc on you to universities Wait, i'm so confused you don't you didn't have in school suspension at all no what happened if you did something bad did you have out of school suspension i mean we say detention is that in school suspension? no detention is like staying after school that's a different thing yeah so no this was like all day you have to spend either we didn't have that at all there's no it's equivalent. like in school jail <laughs> Which again, you saying that you have like a record. These things sound so like criminal justice system. I don't know. I've never thought about it before. I've I just never heard that's... any of these things until today. <laughs> it sounds like I'm like, yeah, I'm not entirely surprised that this is like in American culture where like you incarcerate so many people. But like we didn't have either of those things. Uh, so what happened if somebody did something wrong? Like so, how were they punished? It depends what the thing is and, like, you know, the severity. If someone, like, is late to class or skipped a class once ever, probably close to nothing. If you skip a bunch of classes and at a certain point they'll, like, call your parents and or leave a voicemail on your home phone and just be like, hey, like, this person, I didn't get these because I didn't do it because I was a perfect child. Just kidding. Um, but, yeah, they'd, like, you know, call or leave a voicemail and just be like, hey, just, you know, your kid missed, you know, first block and second block today just to let you know that, like, they weren't in class to, like, you know, talk to them. Um, I don't know. I didn't rack up enough, you know, knocks against me to, like, be super involved in that system. I hated school, but I knew how to, like, game it and pretend, you know, to, like, phone it in and still do well. What if someone, like, hit another kid? Um, they'd execute them on the spot. They'd just <laughs> take out the guillotine, which is a very Canadian, you know, French-Canadian invention. What really happened? <laughs> you didn't buy my murder story? You said it was such a straight face. I he know. said it as if he was saying a completely serious fact. It's true. Um, someone, I, I, did, I don't, I never saw a kid hit someone else. What? Like, in class? 
What kind of like in school? Like what kind of animals <laughs> in high school with? What? I'm so confused. Just people beating the crap out of each other, and, difference and this between is why you have like metal detectors in your school. Well, you never had like fights. Like there were never fights between kids. Not during class time. Or like between classes, or just like during after, lunch, or like after school. Sure. On school grounds. Yes, sometimes. Those are rare. I think, yeah, if there was, like, someone's got beef with someone else, it was more like, okay, we're going to fight. But I think they had the the foresight to, like, plan and go, we'll meet at this other park a couple blocks away from school. And, like, a bunch of people would go and, you know, in case something actually happened, it wasn't just all talk. But even then, it's like, you know, the number of fights or, like, incidences or big things, even in my, like, you know, very broad awareness of, you know, my grade and the grade surrounding mine, like, they're very infrequent things. I think when you just give people free health care, they don't tend to beat the shit out of each other for fun. <laughs> they just are like, okay, we, like, take care of each other. And there weren't that many, like, bad kids. What? There weren't, like, bullies or people getting in trouble all the time? There were any. But, yeah, I mean, my high school was 1,700 people, approximately. I would guess that there were, like... like 30 problem kids maybe that would like, you know, I, I knew most of them through, I was a peer counselor, which was like, you're kind of, I mean, it's a peer counselor. You. Of course you were a peer counselor. I don't and, know if I knew you were a peer And you had counselor. to be voted into it. So it was like a thing that I like applied for and oh. was interested in. And you're almost, yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like an interpersonal coach who's available to like anyone in any of the grades. And we they, had those, but I was book, never one. They can book time with you. But you could only do it in, in grade 12, the last year of high school. So oh. I did it for my last year. And they also warned us because there were 16 of us. I was one of the 16. And they warned us when we were in our like training, like there was like mediation, like counseling. It was like mini counselor trainers, counselor trainings for like 17 year olds. And they told us ahead of time. They were like, the 80-20 rule applies, where usually out of the 16, one, maybe two of you will be like booked with, like people will request, you know, sessions with you more than anyone else. And they said it preemptively to be like, so don't take it personally if like one of you gets more than the others. Like it's like, it's not a competition. It just usually spreads by word of mouth and like. And I was very it. I was like. Of course you I don't know if there was a second place. I'm sure there was. You know, just statistically. But, yeah, I... Everyone wanted to talk to Jordan. There were a couple of kids in grade 8. Eight, Eighth grade was, like, the young... So, our high school was grade 8 to 12. I was grade 12 when I was a peer counselor. And, yeah, there were a few grade 8s that had just some especially troubled home lives. And once I talked to the first one, I did multiple sessions with that person... Um, their friends that had similar, not great setups. Like I just, yeah, I did dozens of hours with each of them and they like would pull you out of class and be like, you know, I'd be in English class and they'd be like, Jordan, like come out, you know, you've been booked for a session, come out and talk to this kid for an hour. And it was all, you know, respectfully done and very like, um, not anonymous. What's the word? Confidential. So like, you know, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't acknowledge the person in the halls and be like, hey, we talk. Because it's, you know, you don't address them unless they want to address you. But yeah, that was a big chunk of my grade 12. Um, so yeah, we had, those those kids weren't the bullies. Those kids were like, you know, 
They just had rough home lives. Wait, okay, I have a rule. So <clears throat> did peop- those kids would like tell each other about you? Yes. So And what did you do? Just give them advice or just listen? Both more the more the latter. Um yeah, I mean if they booked me I don't remember how long classes were hour twenty. I don't know how long high school blocks are. Whatever. An hour ish. Um, yeah, we'd go off to like a room that was dedicated for this purpose. It was like, there's a peer counselor room. Um, and to book a session with anyone, you know, a kid in any grade would go to their counselor. Is that the, the word? The like, you know, actual adult. What, what's the, what's the school, school counselor? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sco- I think you know, it's just school counselor. 50 year old, like a proper adult, not a student at all. But they usually aren't really counselors of any sort. No, no. Just agreed. Like, yeah. yeah. They're just like. You know, I don't know the liaison, their credentials the, are. the point person. So yeah, they would go to their grades counselor and be like, I want to talk to Yeah, someone. it worked like that at our school. I want to talk to Jordan and they'd go, okay. And then they'd, I don't know, either phone the phone number of the class that I was in or come and get me physically. But yeah, I'd go and yeah, not dissimilar to a lot of the sessions that I do today. It would usually be like fairly... 90 10 you know 90 percent listening a couple questions maybe some suggestions you know I, I gave i assume from what i remember i gave less suggestions as a 17 year old who was like just starting to do this compared to someone who's been doing it for you know over 15 years very full time as a career but yeah that was i was 17 and that's this i don't know Anyone cares about this? They do. This is the best. (laughs) No, the thing I'm about to say, which is, yeah, like on my website and in different bios, I say like, you know, been doing this work full time for 15 plus years and I never really know what to like actually say it by because in some ways, you know, I've just always been very this and been doing it from like, you know, even many years before that thing that I just talked about. So like. Oh, oh my God. Of course everyone wanted to talk to you. (laughs) They're just like this big, sweet guy who just like has such a big heart. I loved it. It was really, yeah, I felt really honored. Oh. I think they could sense, I mean, probably what a lot of people that I work with now sense of just like, he's been through some stuff. His heart's open and available. He's very non-judgmental. He listens really well. And, you know, if and when I ask for suggestions... He seems pretty on top of things. What? Yeah. So I have more questions. Yeah. It's okay. I know we're getting. I'm, no, I'm go getting for it. Tired? Are you getting tired? Um, I know we're over an hour. I just want. So, uh, we had. Now I'm remembering. We had peer helpers. They were called. Yeah. Peer help. Peer helpers. Mm-hmm. I was not one, nor do I know who even was one really. Mm-hmm. Um. But so, what made you? want to do that because so uh, there's a couple things and maybe Mm -hmm. they all play into the same answer like what made you want to do that like what did you kind of get from doing it oh yeah it's the post office lady we kept hearing a door shut yeah hooray um uh what made you want to do it but then also how does that kind of relate to your suicide attempt at 15 Mm -hmm. and like how does that like you went from kind of that to like i'm gonna help are they they're just connected or are they? Or, yeah. Totally. I'm just... I mean, 
yeah, it's the whole like nature and nature versus nurture debate with people and personality. It's like, you know, my, my greatest, most consistent source of pain was born from interpersonal relationships from, you know, well before being 15 and the suicide attempt. Um, so I don't know, you know, was I just, was my soul born knowing that I wanted to do this? Was it cultivated through my early childhood experiences that I didn't love all the way? Um, yeah, I think it's nature and nurture. I think I've always been, um, you know, caring and big hearted and a good listener. And I'm sure those things were also, um, exacerbated isn't the right word cultivated encouraged you know the the flames were fanned um by the things that i went through and so sure but like what made you when it's like you could be a peer counselor what made you be like me i'm gonna do that i'm gonna spend my high school time doing that i mean it's just why do you like writing at all like it just there's Um, things that are just in us that i'm like I've never not been this way. Like, mm. like, yeah, another story that I've said in some pockets of the internet of like, when I was, you know, seventh grade, when I was 12 years old and all my guy friends, um, you know, recess and lunch break and after school, um, when all my guy friends were on the basketball court playing basketball and like roughhousing, I was the exclusive male who would sit with the girls on the sideline and talk about relationships. And like, who do you have a crush on? And not because I was trying to like game and like, you know, try to get information for Intel. I just found that more interesting. Yeah. That's just always been my temperament. Um, so yeah, there was never a question when they were like, there's a thing called peer counselors. You can do this, you know, get, you know, more, get these trainings and, you know, increased skills in interpersonal mediation and just like learning about psychology. I've just been drawn to it forever. Hmm. And I was like, oh, of course I do this. Like it just is the best. Were you at all... Uh... Are, were you at all sort of oriented toward either just like as you and your family or yeah, I don't know if it relates to being Canadian, but like, like this will look good on a college resume? No. That was not part of it. Didn't care in the slightest. Did, I, you, I was did already, you do anything that you did based on that? No. Wow. I was, I was already so disillusioned by education system. Remember, I thought I thought I was stupid through high school. Right. Because... I, my learning style, like my mind hyperlinks very fast. Like I was just talking about the, you get into like finish your work in 15 minutes and then just fuck around and walk, read magazines. Like I'm great at self-study. Literally, if if all of high school and this, yeah, if all of high school was, here's what this course is about. Here's the book. Go learn it. Ideal case scenario. Yeah. My experience of high school was the exact opposite. It's primarily auditory-based teaching, someone speaking at me, extremely slow. It's like a thing that you could learn, a thing that I could learn in a week is stretched out over months, and it was mind-numbing. I hated it. But because the teaching style that they copy and pasted onto everyone very didn't work for me, um, and so I just checked out because I was like, this is just so painful to sit through, mainly because of the pace. Um, Yeah, I thought it must be dumb. I was like, and every report card that I ever got was like, Jordan is so intelligent. If only he applied himself. They're like, yeah. if only he applied himself was a thing. And and it was accurate. They were like, they knew I had a sharp mind. They knew that when I, you know, forced myself to listen to their terrible pace and care, I did well. I tried one year of high school and got straight A's basically. Um, and then I found out that when you get 
they say they say honor roll. So like all A's and B's, like great grades across the board. I then found out that they pay you. They're like, do you make money from that? And I was like, if you told me that I got money from getting honor roll, I would have tried for more than one year. We did not get money from being on the honor roll. They didn't give you cash. They give you like cash credits for post-secondary. So if you go to university, then you can cash it out to to pay for tuition or books or... I don't think we got that, but I don't know. So that was the thing. Wow. And I was like, that incentive would have done something with me. But um, yeah, no, I, I was... By the time I was wrapping up high school I mean in grade 12 not even wrapping up high school I was just so in coasting mode because I was like my life path is not eight years of university and being an academic I hate this shit like and your parents did not pressure you at all to to like go to university or like um I don't think so no I mean they weren't like get better grades Jordan eh, I mean they they definitely weren't neglectful, nor would I say they pressured me. They were aware and they talked about it. And they're like, I remember for a year or two, I think maybe two years, because um, I really hated math. Math was not a strong suit in the like grade 11, 12. It's funny because you do math every day. Totally. That's <laughs> the thing. I, I like, you know, like money math, number math. But yeah, the when, when we were getting Everyone's into like, doing math. when we were getting into whatever, like, tangent sine cosine like trigonometry and i'm like unless i'm gonna be a math teacher or an architect which i'm not why are we learning this and if i didn't have the buy-in of why you couldn't i just couldn't care less um yeah so they did get me a math tutor for a year or two um so yeah they were like supportive but it didn't feel like pressure it didn't feel like oh if you don't get straight a's you're fucked in life there was there was none of that messaging um yeah i'm it felt like my parents were quite aware of our different strengths, me and my siblings. And they knew that I was more artistic and social, like interpersonal. And that's really what I made my high school. Like I phoned it in and did bare minimum, you know, schooling and grades wise so that I could play music, do photography and videography, date a lot of girls, um, play in a band. Like, yeah, I just, I was all about art like artistic expression and dating and my friends. Um, And so, you know, that ended up being the thing that did support a lot of the foundation of my um, actual career path. And yeah, again, I started to read hundreds of books on these things that I was like, oh, there's like actually a whole section of books about psychology and relationships in the, you know, purchasable bookstore. Um, and that was very exciting, but yeah, I, I don't think, I'm pretty sure it wasn't until I was like out of high school that I thought maybe I'll apply to film school. Cause I really did like video work and then went to film school for three years, um, and was accepted into a program that was very explicit. We don't accept people right out of high school, but I was like, that doesn't apply to me. I'm going to get in. And I did. Huh. And you just did that on your own. You were just like, I know I need to find something to do and I want to do this. Like your parents weren't like, Jordan, you need to find a thing to do. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think there was a post-secondary thing that they were like, you have to go to university or you'll be a failure or whatever. Um, Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think I just wanted to like do something and that was the lowest hanging fruit that 
had appealed to me for a good number of years because uh, I knew I didn't want to be a general therapist. Um, but I also kind of knew I didn't want to be a film director. So I don't know. I was maybe just like, here's I, something interesting. I like, I like filmmaking. Yeah. Um, I'll learn things. I'll have other artistically inclined um, classmates that mm. I'll likely get along with. And yeah, tried it. Loved first year and did two more years. And while in third year, that's when I started doing relationship work full time because I worked on enough actual professional film sets to realize, oh, a lot of people that work in film are miserable and divorced and not Mm. just not holistically fulfilled people. And the hours are a nightmare. And yeah, it was just like, okay, I have one book about lighting for film and I have hundreds of books on relationships. Maybe this is where I actually, you know, this is what I care about the most. And then I pivoted. Mm. So I want to go back to my question or from earlier because we kind of skipped over it. Is, is your, like, y- you attempting suicide, does that connect to, like, like, were you kind of, like, I've, like, been through a lot and just, like, felt all these things, so I, like, empathize more with my peers? At that age, I don't know if that was yet conscious. I know that that was in the mix. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I don't think between 15 to 17... I had that much of a thought process of like, okay, I'm going to use this for something. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that felt like it came later. more at 21 when I like really started full time. Yeah. Yeah. It was in the mix, but I don't, I, yeah. Don't know if 17 year old me thought that ahead of time. Yeah. I wonder, like, do you think it helped? I don't know. Were you already not in as much pain as you had been in by that time? Or did it help you? Did it partially help to like, you know how like when people are going through a really hard thing, it can help them to like help others. Both. Yeah. For sure. Both. Yeah. I mean, still both, you know, I get more perspective. I'm more equipped (laughs) to support people because I've been through things in life. And I also benefit from the doing, you know, like there's always something being chewed on or integrated in being that person for people like it's never just a one-way street yeah so for sure both well people are going through such hard things right and like sometimes we can get so caught up in like our own things and how hard things are and then we like talk to other people's people and we're like Mm -hmm. man you can like life is just not it's hard sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, that's so fascinating to me because we've never talked as much in depth about that, but like, I feel like my activities in high school were like pretty much all geared toward like, what's going to look good on a resume. Oh, wow. So I didn't really feel, and perhaps like, I think it's probably a combination of things, but like I was, you know, I was super into poetry. I won a poetry contest when I was in fifth grade. But I don't feel like either that wasn't as encouraged in me or maybe more likely there weren't really that many, like, outlets for me to, like, do that in school. Yeah. You know, like, there weren't really places. We definitely did not have a very artsy high school. Like, there weren't really things for me to do that were more, like, geared toward my actual interests of, like, Mm -hmm. writing and things like that. And, uh... So what I ended up, like, you know, soccer was definitely my main thing, but I also continued soccer to such the extent that I did because, uh, 
it was very clear that like my parents were like, you know, I played travel soccer, which meant that we were often traveling to practices like my parent, my mom would drive me, my parents would take me like uh, three or four times a week, like two hours away to play soccer and on weekends, sometimes further, like five hours away to play in tournaments and things. And it was like very frequent. And so that was kind of my life. And it was like, this is the thing you're going to obviously like we're spending so much time on this so that yeah. it gets you into school. And I wasn't even super like I liked playing soccer and I got to like choose, you know, things that I liked. But also for me, it was very clear that it was like I have like I didn't want to go all the time right. at all. And it was like, this is the thing I have to do. And like all the clubs I joined in high school were very like like key club. I don't even know what the fuck key club is now. I can't even tell you what it was, but I was in it because it looked good on a resume. To learn how to make keys? No, no. It was like, like locksmith? No, I don't know what it was. It was some people will know what it is. I don't it was like a a thing. I don't know. Hmm. Uh but you just like it you it developed some sort of I don't know, it just looks good on a resume. But I I joined these things to look good. And it was never really about my interests. And actually, when it started to become about my interests was, uh, I think as I got closer to going to school, I started to just like wake up a bit and be like, uh, like I, I went to a soccer camp at Brown and it was like, this is D1 soccer. And I did this soccer camp and I like met all these girls and their lives were just like soccer like they and they loved soccer they were like and they were just so different than me you're like oh i don't i was like oh i'm not actually this is not actually me like i don't i'm not like these girls i don't love this sport this much i don't like practice in my free time Mm -hmm. i don't want my whole call like i'm going to college i don't want my whole experience to be this yeah and that was when i started to sort of pull back and that was massive because my parents were just like are you kidding yeah but yeah, I was, like, I was yeah. like, no, I don't want to. And then I was like, maybe I'll play D3 soccer instead. Like, I won't go for the big, intense thing. And then I was like, I don't think I want that either. Like, I just don't want to play soccer in school. And yeah. that was kind of my first fight for, like, I want to do a bit more artsy of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that was my first major film. You know that? I Well, it was like one semester. Uh, yeah. But my, I went to school when I entered. It was a film and communications double major. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like a journalist, like editor of magazines and try out film. And like, <sighs> I took only one film class and it was fun. I made, I made films and mm-hmm. I loved it, but I also hated the like actual like lugging around the things and then like ed- yeah i just gear. Uh, yeah and mm-hmm. i was like i don't know anyway mm-hmm. then damon's accident happened and the mean oh this is the last thing i'll say we'll then close the mean professor like i was i still remember i was in four classes at that time and one of them let me skip so damon's accident happened so remember my brother is almost like like he's basically dead no one knows if he's gonna die or not he's like in a very in a coma and my it was right before finals and my professors one of them was like forget about the final bless that woman she was my communications teacher one of them i think uh or maybe i had dropped a class maybe i was only in three uh my theology professor told me I still had to do the final, but I could hand it in late. It was a paper. 
And I was like, fuck you, Val, do it. And my film teacher was such an asshole. And he was like, no, has to be in on time. And I was like, my brother is in the ICU. And like, I'm spending all my time in the hospital. I'm not even there at school. And I don't have any of my film stuff. What do you like? And he finally was like, fine, like hand in what you have already. And I'll just grade it based on that. And I got a really bad grade on the class. It was just like, he was such a dick and I will never forget it. Because it was like, at a time where you could have been kind, he chose to be a dick. Anyway. Stuff sticks with you. (laughs) It really does. Um, Okay, I'm getting hungry. Who knew we were going to get into that? I did not. Me neither. Jordan and I are recording another episode soon. So... You'll be hearing more. We'll see what more. that one's about. You'll be hearing more from us uh-huh. and me. Okay. Thanks for hanging out with us. That's all for now, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.